senior discounts, it became even more real to me. Soon and very soon. We always want to be prepared and ready. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of First Baptist Church Sun City West in our time of worship and celebration this morning. If you're a guest today, we welcome you. And if you haven't filled out one of our guest cards, we'd love for you to take that from the pew in front of you, fill it out in its entirety, and drop it in one of the offering boxes when you leave. We would certainly appreciate that. If you would, join me in a time of prayer, and we're going to continue singing and praising God today. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come and be engaged and involved in this time of worship. God, I pray we would understand this is not just traditional routine. This is an encounter with you. And I pray that we will walk away from this experience having experienced you, worshipped you, and being engaged, not only in just the singing of words, but from, Father, from the depths of our heart, having true meaning, we reach out to you and thank you for all that you have done for us. So today, today, we sing songs of praise, knowing that soon, yes, very soon, we're going to meet you. And Father, what a celebration that's going to be. A celebration that continues in this life, to the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All hail the power. If you are comfortable standing, I invite you to stand with the choirs we sing together.
will you pray with me? Our holy God, our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we come today with praise and thanksgiving for another Lord's Day, God, for another day of life, for all the blessings that you give to us, Father, that you bestow upon us every moment of every day. God, may we be thankful and may we be mindful of those. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come to your house on this Lord's Day. Father, to sing praises to your name. God, to lift your name on high. Father, that we will, when we hear our message this morning, God, would you help us, Lord, in the quiet of this time, to cleanse our hearts and our spirits. Father, help us to be open to your word and to what you have to say to us today. God, we have many needs across our world. We look at our world and our country, Father, and we see that there is turmoil. And Father, in our own country, there is division, and there's anger, and there's hate, Father, and there's violence. And Lord, we know that this breaks your heart. And God, I pray for each of us who are Christians this morning, Father, that we would be an encourager to everyone, Father, God, that we might share your son's love, God, that we might share the good news of Jesus Christ so that others may know, Father, there is hope. There is always hope for another life, for a new life in Christ, God. I pray for everyone in this room this morning, Father. I pray for everyone who's watching on our live stream, God, that you would tell each of us, Father, to be the person that you would want us to be. God, that we would forget ourselves. In a time like this, it's so easy to be afraid and to be focused on ourselves. But God, this is the time when we as your people need to be so focused upon you, God, and your love, and how you can help each one of us. Lord, your word promises that no matter what we might go through, you give us the strength to go through it. You see us through. You will never leave us nor forsake us. So help us, God, that we might take that into our hearts and into our minds, and God, that we might be the ones who would carry love and light to all of the world, God. We can do it, each one of us, in our own small ways. We're older, and sometimes we think that we can't do things, Father, but we can always pray. We can always call others, many things that we can do. So help us, God, as this church, Father, that we might be the light, always. Be with our pastor as he brings your word this morning, Father, the judgment of sin. God, we know that we are sinners, and yet we know that you sent your son to give his life that we might have eternal life. And so we praise him this day, and we thank you. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Oh 
Good morning. Our scripture for today is Daniel 1, 1 through 2, and 2 Chronicles 36, 5 through 8. Please follow along either in your Bible or on our screen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried up to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Malcolm Chronicles 2, or 2 Chronicles, excuse me. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took the Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple here. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and give us understanding hearts, for these are the words of the Lord. Thank you. 
How many of you thoroughly enjoyed being disciplined when you were growing up? I didn't see anybody raise their hand. Al's son is here. I don't know. Yeah, okay, you enjoyed it, okay. <laughs> Teasing, yeah. I can tell you that I did not enjoy being disciplined when I was growing up, but in reflection, I really, really appreciate my parents doing that. Because there was a reason behind it. I was never happy to have to discipline my kids. But there was a reason why the discipline had to take place. We look at our topic today on sin's judgment. God is never happy to have to bring judgment upon his people. But there are reasons for that being accomplished. There are purposes. And so this morning I want to talk about that, something we don't talk about a lot because we talk about God's unconditional love a lot. Mercy and grace. But at the same time, there is a great understanding, helpful lessons that we can learn, especially from these Old Testament passages about how God moves forward in the realm of judgment. The books of the Old Testament had a, a meaning and a message for the people of that day. Sometimes it was a prophetic message. Other times it was a message that could apply to any people, anywhere, anytime. Here in uh, Daniel chapter 1 and the reflective uh, passage in 2 Chronicles, also in Kings, we're going to, to deal with all of those passages this morning, we find that it is about judgment. That's the message. The scripture says that God disciplines, chastises those whom he loves. And so to receive the chastisement or the discipline or the judgment of God, well, the very positive thing is it says God loves you. God loves you enough to want to make sure that you are back right in line of where he desires you to be. You see, God has a plumb line, and when his people do not stand right with the plumb line, they don't meet the test of the plumb line, then that can lead to judgment. The message of Daniel that we have this morning is both prophetic, a prophetic word for the people of that day, and it is also a message of warning for us today. Judgment basically is dual in nature. It is condemnation and it's retribution. And this morning, I want to take the opportunity to talk about the retribution portion of this judgment that he's talking about. And that is, judgment of badness or evil in this life. That's Daniel's message to the Israelites. And I think we ourselves ought to take a listen to what God is trying to get across. Four things I want to try to bring out if I can. Number one, sin's judgment is slow, but it's certain. I don't know if you've noticed, if you do any uh, reading of news or things like that, we find that, that in our day and time there are more and more cold case criminal cases being solved than there have been in the past. The reason for that is greater technology that we have and a greater understanding of the human DNA. 
21 cold cases were solved in 2021 alone that were years, sometimes decades old. Just when somebody felt like that they were never going to get caught because of all the time passed, there was a knock on the door. The same is true with God's judgment. It is slow, but it's certain. You see, God does not get in a hurry. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 5, talking about King Jehoiakim, the scripture says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. For 120 years, God allowed Noah to not only build the ark, but also to communicate God's message of repentance to come back to him. It wasn't an automatic, quick judgment, but over 120 years, God allowed that message to be communicated. The Bible says that Jehoiakim reigned 11 years and did evil. The term e did is linear action. It has an idea that he became progressively worse. Each time that he did some, an evil act or did something evil, got by with it, he just, the next time, went even deeper. More progressive, linear in action. And still, God did not stop him. He did this for 11 years, thinking that it was going to be okay. Judgment is preceded by warnings and invitations. The scripture alludes to. In Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 23 and 24, the scripture says, Whenever Jehudai read three or four columns of the scroll, the king, Jehoiakim, cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all of his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear nor did they tear their clothes. So here God is giving warnings, warning and invitation to Jehoiakim and his attendants to turn back to him, to move away from the evil, to move away from, from what could be coming down the pike, an opportunity he gives them to turn back. You notice back in verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 36, it said that Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. God was the God of Jehoiakim, and yet he had turned his back on him. Time and time again, Jeremiah went to King Jehoiakim. Time and time again, he pleaded with him to come back. The warnings that were given to Jehoiakim. And then finally, God led Jeremiah to write a scroll of judgment and read it before the king. And he shredded it with a penknife and burned it up. A complete disregard of God's plumb line. God continues to speak to his people just like he spoke through Jeremiah, given warnings. Listen, I want you to hear, read what's going on. Look at what is in between the lines. Don't you see the plumb line of here's what God's word says, and here's where you are. He gives warnings and invitations. As a nation, we have seen the mighty movement of God in our country and in various spots around the world. In the 18th century, we saw the, great, the first great spiritual awakening in the 1740s. In the 19th century, the second great awakening in 1858 and 59. 
And then in 1905, the 20th century Wells had this incredible movement of God. Even in our own country, we saw the Jesus movement in the 1970s that, that gave somewhat of a spark toward that understanding of what true revival and spiritual awakening could be like. We've also seen very specific areas where God has come down in churches, in revivals, in people's lives, and there has been a mighty awakening. We just haven't seen it nationwide or worldwide. So we've seen the move of God in mighty ways. But warnings continue to come. The 20th century was supposed to be the Christian century, according to a number of Christian leaders prior to the 1900s. Things were just going to get better and better and better. That was the idea of post-millennialism. It appears, though, as we reflect back over the last 120 years, that what God has done is he has sent us warning after warning after warning. That Christian century that I described, we reflect on it and we see that there was World War I. There was the Great Depression. There were the Dust Bowl days, there was World War II, there was the Korean War, there was the Vietnam War, there was the Cold War. You had the 60s as the sexual revolution and, and the influx of drugs. The 70s and 80s focused on the same types of drugs, but focused more on the me generation. We were self-absorbed all the way through the 20th century in that way. And it didn't stop there. In the 21st century, we, we realized terrorism on September 11, 2001. We saw the uh, housing bubble burst in 2008 and the economic challenge that we all had. We've just been through two and a half years of a pandemic. And now we see the wars with Russia and Ukraine and runaway inflation, potential recession. I'm thinking to myself, do we just look at these things and just say, well, that's just world, that's just the way it is? I look at them personally, and I see them as clear warnings from God. Clear warnings that as the people of God, we, we, we hold the name Christian on our, on our shoulders. We speak it well, but somehow we're not allowing God to use us in an impactful way to change the world, to see the spiritual awakenings, which only God will bring if his people have prepared and are ready. So, like Jehoiakim and his advisors, maybe we're not paying attention to the warnings. Maybe we don't fear God the way that we think we fear God. In fact, many continue to mark, mock, mock God and his warnings. And uh, the Pew research just recently has found that only 20% believe that the Bible is actually the word of God. 81% believe in God, not in Jesus, but in God. That's down from 96% in our nation back about 15 years ago, and down 5% from just five years ago, or 6% down from five years ago. There is progressively a movement, a slide in our nation. But I want to concentrate on believers. 
Because God is speaking to us. We're the ones that have the, have the spiritual understanding and need to listen. The largest growing religion in America is the non-religious. That's the impact we're making. At some point, God's patience is going to end. In 2 Chronicles 36.6, the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked and bound him, Jehoiakim, with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. So whether it be believers or a church or a nation, we can push God too far to the point where he said, enough's enough. You would never have thought that with Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. And yet, we find them in a very difficult predicament. There was a turning point. You see, judgment is slow, but it's certain. We find also that sin's judgment is ordered by God. He takes full responsibility for it. And he does it for a very particular purpose. And so when he orders judgment upon his people, what we find is that he may use human forces. In Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 29 through 31, the scripture says, Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, Why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and wipe from it both man and beast? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring upon them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. For me, that was a key phrase. They have not listened. They've heard... He read, but they didn't listen. We would think that it would be unconceivable or inconceivable that God would do that, would bring judgment upon his people. And yet, why don't you ask Jehoiakim what took place? He lived through it, at least for a period of time. Why don't you tell that to the Israelites that found the judgment and captivity just on their horizon. You see, we have seen the judgment of God in the past, in the course of world history, in our own, in our own history. From a national standpoint, we have experienced terrorism outside and inside, and it hasn't ceased. China has far-reaching plans to expand around the world. There are those nations that have nuclear capabilities, like Russia, North Korea, potentially Iran very soon. You say, why are you bringing those things up in a sermon? It's very specific. Because as the people of God living here in our nation, where we have the freedom, the freedom of choice, the freedom to worship, the freedom to live the way God wants us to, we are the ones not listening. I also want you to understand that God's patience can end for his children if they're not listening either. You say, preacher, listen, I, every Sunday I'm right here. I'm, I'm hearing what you have to say. 
But what, what is God's Word? What is it changing in your life? To make you more compassionate about those who are lost. More compassionate about those people who are in need. What is it that will take us out of our routine and radically change us even at this stage of life that we're in, doing something different that actually benefits and touches other people for the glory of God. That's when we listen, because then we take actions. We're just not on autopilot. He may use human forces. We find the forces God uses may actually be worse than we are. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 5. He says, I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. There's a beautiful imagery if you get time to read Isaiah chapter 5, the first 10 verses. There's this idea and understanding that God has this, this hedge of protection around his people. But as his people continue to not listen, as his people continue to just do what they want to do with their freedom, he continues to lower that hedge of protection where he comes to the place in Isaiah 5, 5, I will take away the hedge and it will be destroyed. Israel could not believe that God would allow Babylon to come and overtake them. We're better than the Babylonians. Man, they were. The Babylonians were non-believers. Israel was God's chosen people. So how in the world, why would God allow a more evil people to take control of his chosen ones? Well, pretty simple. God brought judgment upon the people of Israel as discipline because he wanted his children to learn and to understand the vital importance of being obedient and following him because he has the very best desire for each one of us. And just a reminder that we ourselves are his children. The outcome of judgment is determined by God. Sometimes we think there are other forces involved, but God determines that outcome. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2, the first part, he says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It wasn't because of the might of Nebuchadnezzar, although he had a very imposing army. But God removed his protective hedge. And it says the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. We can't say that we're immune. We say God will not let the ungodly subdue his people, his children. But listen, if we as believers don't turn from our lax ways, our ability to just be on autopilot, and for some, our immoral ways, that most of us don't even know about as we look at each other. God just might do that. Or he might allow our nation or maybe us as believers to just rot from the inside out because of actions, <coughs> attitudes, because of things that we're doing that between us and God we know are wrong, but we don't want anybody else to know about. I think the term why is intriguing. Why would God 
do this? Why would he allow an ungodly entity to subdue his chosen people or his children? Well, listen, God expects those who have light to spread it. And we have done more to hide it than to spread it. And I think what I'm really referring to here is the genuine light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just throwing the term, I'm a Christian and these are the things I have to hold on to, but but genuinely, compassionately walking beside people and sharing that which has transformed our lives. There's a difference between being a, a block of Christians that have social issues on their mind that may be very good social issues and believers in Jesus Christ who are striving to make a difference in the lives of people who are lost or people who are in need. He wants us to be the light. Genuinely. We just aren't the witness that God both commanded and desired us to be. Herr Zwingli, the 16th century Swedish reformer, said, Let all governments, however large or small, be undaunted, for as long as we hold to the teachings of Christ, God will not let them fall. He's referring to governments holding on to the, to the, uh, uh, to the teachings of Christ, almost like a sense of a theocracy. The reality is that God never wanted a theocracy in governments. What he desired was for Christian people to live out their Christian life in a vibrant, expressive way. It's not just in a free nation like America that that, that could be done, but if you read articles about believers in North Korea who have had to go go underground, and who have been captured and and tortured because of their Christian faith, you find that, you know what, they lived out their Christian life. That's why what happened to them. That's why they were persecuted. The idea is that, you know what, it should be so, so important to us to have that relationship with Christ that is so deep, it's so intimate, that changes us so much that we want to very, on the very first thing, we want to make sure that the people we're talking with and we're connecting with, that we can help them in the spiritual realm of life. It's a challenge for us. That as believers, we must be strong. We must hold to the teachings of Christ. We should express our faith no matter where that is. It could be as his children, if we're still working at our workplace, it should be at the clubs that we're at, doing woodwork or, or metalwork or whatever club you're a part of. It should be at the rec centers. It should be at the grocery store. And I get, I get exciting reports from people in our congregation about people that they have met in these places and they have invited them to come to church or shared Christ with them. And that just thrills my heart, because that's what we ought to be doing. It doesn't have to be a strong, abrasive witness. It doesn't have to hit somebody over the head with a Bible. But building those relationships, reaching out in compassionate love. And we only do that 
when Christ is first in our lives, when he's the director of our lives, when we make him the very top, and we want to serve him faithfully. He compassionately loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. He didn't have to, but he did. That's what we're to live out as the people, the children of God. God continues to give us opportunities, but the time is drawing short. We find that sin's judgment costs heavily. It costs in material things. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it says, along with some of the articles of the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put into the treasure house of his God. So for Israel, especially the king, they depended upon the gold and the silver, the bronze, the precious stones, the ornate articles of worship. They depended on those things, and yet they were taken away. It cost what judgment does. The price of judgment is heavy for his children who don't listen. It also costs them loss, loss of freedom. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, the scripture says that during Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. And the Lord sent Babylonian, Armenian, Moabite, and Armenianite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. And so we find Jehoiakim, after he had been taken into captivity, was reestablished as a vassal king for Babylonia. And he was okay with that for three years, and then he tried to, to rebel. And that's when everything changed. Let me tell you, freedom is so important. Freedom in Christ is most important. No matter what nation that you're a part of, the freedom that you have in Christ changes your whole world. Economically, we're kind of in a mess right now. Let me tell you, I can eat beans and rice. I can eat cornbread. I can eat macaroni and cheese. I can eat tuna if I have to. <laughs> but I don't want to lose my freedom. It's precious and yet taken for granted by so many. We were blessed out of absolutely no, nothing on our part to be born in a place where we had freedom to do so many things. In particular, the freedom to worship, the freedom to express our faith. The problem is that when you have those freedoms and you were born into it and you didn't have to fight for it, just sometimes don't seem as precious. It costs in freedom. Also, we find that judgment costs in suffering. In Jeremiah twenty-two nineteen, the scripture says about Jehoiakim, he will have a burial of a donkey, dragged away, thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 36.30, the scripture says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. 
He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. First century Jewish historian Josephus stated this, Jehoiakim was killed during the siege and his body was thrown over the city wall. It cost him suffering. For Jehoiakim, it cost his life. Kind of reminds me of God's judgment on Jezebel. He's thrown over, over the wall and the dogs came and licked the blood. And all that was left were the bones. Sometimes, in the age of grace, we come to this sense that judgment was just an Old Testament thing. And that is so far from the truth. Because if you go to Revelation, you find God is still the God of judgment, as well as the God of love and mercy and grace. So the last thing I want to ask is this. Why does God bring judgment? Why? Well, certainly sin must be paid for. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And a man reaps what he sows. He will not be mocked. You can, you can do everything that you want to blame God for anything. He's pretty, pretty big. He can take it. But the reality is that Whatever you sow, you're going to reap for the positive or for the negative, for the blessings or for the judgment. Sin must be paid for either by you, which does nothing for you for eternity, or by someone who's qualified, and the only one who is qualified is Jesus Christ alone. But to punish is not God's main purpose for judgment. This whole sermon we've talked about judgment, but the main purpose is not to punish you. He's not a God up there somewhere just looking for someone to zap. The basic purpose for judgment is to refine. In Malachi chapter 3 verses 2 and 3, the scripture says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Jehoiakim was arrogant and hopelessly evil. In reality, because of the path he chose, because of his arrogance before God and not fearing God, there was no hope for him. When he did evil deeds, he just continued to do them on a schedule that was worse year by year by year. But Israel, Israel, when they were taken into captivity, those 70 years, they were cleansed and they were refined. That captivity did something for them. Oh, they, they weren't happy about it. I wouldn't be either. They couldn't sing the songs of the faith anymore. 
because they were so discouraged. But over the course of time, there was this cleansing that took place and this refinement. Out of this time of judgment, many turned their back on the worship of idols to come back to a worship of God. Listen, God will not put up with evil forever. At some point, his patience is going to end. And then his desire is to refine. To take out all of the, 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 the things that are evil, the things that, that aren't good, and bring us back into that incredible relationship we have with him through his son Jesus Christ on this side of the cross. And so his main purpose of judgment is to refine, to bring us back. Secondly, we find the second purpose of judgment is to temper. After 70 years of captivity, those who returned to Israel did not sway from Jehovah's worship in those, in those years right after the return. In fact, there was, under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, this incredible revival, is what I would call it, that took place. When the enslaved people returned to the land of promise, as they're reading, reading the word of God, people were moved to tears. <coughs> Revival had taken place. <coughs> Judgment helps prepare us for the hardness of the way ahead. It helps us to reflect what the true priority should be and return to the Lord and it helps us to have a greater reliance upon the protective hand of God it puts us back to our senses and as I reflect back on the discipline I received as a child that's exactly, in particular, what my dad wanted to accomplish. To get me back on the right track. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with my kids. Because as we disciplined, then I would take them and I would talk with them about why the discipline took place. To help them to understand. And that's what God is doing for us today through this passage. He's striving to help us to understand that he wants that relationship to be viable, to be intimate, for us to know that he is number one in our life. And he wants us to fulfill his calling to us, to be the light of the world, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what he wants. And he wants it to be the priority. And this morning, I ask you, you know judgment is real, but it can always be turned back by repentance, by saying, God, I'm not where I should be. But I, today, want to make sure I am centered where you are. And it doesn't change whether we're 20 or 
50 or 80. God wants that relationship. He wants us to acknowledge, I'm not on autopilot. No. No, today, I commit myself, God, for you to be number one. I want to listen to you. And I want to adjust my life. And so this morning, as we prepare to move into our invitation, I invite you to hear what God has said to you today. And you, before you and God, make the adjustments that are necessary. I'll be at the front if you want to make a public decision, if God's leading you in that way. Most importantly, where you're sitting now and where you'll be standing in a few moments, I want you and God to work this out. And my prayer is that you will put him number one. Father, as we move into our time of invitation, our prayer is pretty simple. God, we, we want you. We want you to be number one in our lives. God, we want to reflect your light. We want to have Jesus first. And if we've gotten into a rut, help us to be awakened to the opportunities around us to serve people as Jesus did. And so whatever decisions need to be made, whatever adjustments, whatever rededications, whatever needs to happen, I pray this morning that we'll do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand, but I want you to close your eyes for just a little bit. And then in uh, just, a, just a few minutes, we'll sing the invitation. But I just want you and the, the piano playing, you and God, to have some time by yourselves. You talk to him and let him speak to you.
you go ahead and be seated if you would. Father, it's been our privilege to kind of worship in this place. And we're thankful for the fellowship of our fellow believers. And we're thankful that we do have the freedom to worship. And Father, we know that our service begins when we leave this place. And we take our place in the world that is so needy and so many lost. And so I pray that you would give us guidance and wisdom that we might testify to our faith in every opportunity that we have. Thank you again for loving us through your Son, in whose name we pray. 